Hello, and welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast all about living lives that unleash courageous love in small and big ways. I'm Reverend Elaine, one of your hosts, and I'm so glad to be here with you for today's episode, There's Not Enough Time! Thank God! Today we're exploring what we might invite into our lives if we let go of our interior monologue urgently informing us that there is not enough time, that there is too much to do, that we are missing out, and instead asking ourselves what we might find if we stop trying to master time. Here's Reverend Sean Neil Barron with a thoughtful sermon on just this topic. It was summer, and I was taking the train across the River Charles in Boston. Now, when you cross the river, you go from being underground to this 20 to 30 seconds in which you pop up onto a bridge that overlooks the entire Boston skyline. The river is about before you. Sometimes you can catch a glimpse of the sea, people milling about their lives. It's a beautiful moment. And if I'm honest, most of the time I missed it. Most of the time, the view that I had on my trip across the river was the screen on my phone. But there was this one time, this one summer, where there were these two women who were standing up right near me. It was one of those moments where you can't help but overhear that eavesdropping is necessary because of the volume and intensity of their conversations. They were deep in a loving conversation. It seemed like they hadn't seen each other in a long time. And they were catching up. They were laughing as we were being thrown all about as we moved through the tunnels. And as we started to climb the bridge to go across the river, I noticed that the sky had these beautiful red ribbons of texture. The light was glinting off the river and on the skylines, and it was just gorgeous. It was one of those sunsets that's too beautiful to pass up. Now, one of the women turned and looked out the window, seeing the beauty. And she turned back to her friend who was just talking And she said, hey, look, and she pointed out the window. And her friend, well, she just kept on talking. Like she didn't even hear it. But that's when the friend who had witnessed the sunset did something kind of amazing. She took her hands and placed them on her friend, who was still talking, and said, no, look. And turned her friend's body so she could gaze out the window for the brief moment, the last 15 seconds, that we could see the beauty that was laid out in front of us. And they both stopped and were quiet as they gazed and beheld everything. Together, they embodied a spiritual practice that I have been trying to cultivate and, well, oftentimes failing, being interruptible. Being interruptible means being willing to let go of the plans, the expectations, the desires that we cling to, especially in times of stress, to make room. Being interruptible means relinquishing control, refusing the myth that your life is about what you produce, what you're able to get done, 
that your life is fundamentally about how you could maybe force upon time your tidy and orderly plans for the future. Instead, life is about something far greater, but far less linear. Now, the Germans have a useful concept that might help us here. Forgive my German. Eigenzeit roughly translates to the time inherent to the process itself. The time inherent to the process itself. Eigenzeit invites, Eigenzeit invites us outside of an abstracted timeline, the timeline of our imaginary, to focus on the nature of time as it relates to the tangible. How long does it take to say hello to a friend, truly, fully? How long does it take to prepare a meal if the companionship with others around the kitchen is a part of the process? How long does it take to complete that task around the house when your children or grandchildren ask to help and you know that it will just take longer and be messier with them? Eigenzeit is about surrendering to the time it takes to do what is meaningful. And around this time of year, with the year coming to a close and holidays looming and to-do lists exploding and inboxes are stuffed to the brim and kids are at the end of their collective ropes and their parents are about to hang them with them as worries about variants dance in our dreams, Surrendering to the time it takes to do what is meaningful feels impractical and impossible. Because we tell ourselves, I tell myself, a story about time, which is that there is not enough of it. There's not enough time. How many of you have thought that recently? There's not enough time. There's all of the errands that need doing, all of the good intentions that need to come to fruition, all of the demands of others that seem to land at our feet. It's like we're trying to beat an unbeatable foe, and somehow we think this time we will best them and get it all in even though we never have. That somehow... We could, with our fuel cells depleted after nearly two years of pandemic life, somehow tame time, somehow figure out how to cram the impossibly large volume of tasks and expectations into the finite hours of the day. It's not possible. There's not enough time. Gretchen and I have this running joke, which is that we need an extra month in between October and November. We tell this joke in October. And then in October, we say we need another month between November and December. And now that it is December, the joke we tell us we need another month in between December and January. There's not enough time. But here's the truth. There was never enough time. There was always too much to be done. And even if you were more productive, even if you were more efficient, you would never conquer time. In the last couple of years, we've seen the rise of efficiency and productivity, gurus and life hacks, all promising you more productivity, more efficiency in your time. But as Oliver Berkman writes in his amazing book, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals, 
the problem isn't exactly that these techniques don't work. It's that they do work. In the sense that you will get more done. You will race to more meetings. You'll ferry your kids to more after-school activities. You'll generate more profit for your employer. And yet, paradoxically, you will only feel busier, more anxious, and somehow emptier as a result. The truth is, there'll always be too much to do and not enough time. And yet, even though we know this in our bones, we carry within ourselves this persistent illusion that somehow this time will be different. Somehow we'll be able to move through a life filled to the brim with choices and never miss out on anything. That we could experience the abundance of possibilities and opportunities of daily life and somehow not feel overwhelmed by its immensity. That somehow, at the buffet of life, we could be like Goldilocks and take just the right amount all of the time. What an illusion. We're always going to miss out on something. There will always be too much that we could do. We will always be seduced with the idea that the future, be it near or distant, will be the time where we'll make time for ourselves, make time for our partners, make time to serve, make time to give back. After we retire, after the kids get older, after this project at work, after, 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 another time. And yet, this moment will never come again. There will always be more dishes, there will always be more work, there will always be more that can be done, but this moment, this one, won't ever come again. There's not enough time. And thank God for that. For what a gift finitude is. A freedom, a release from trying to hold up the whole world. A freedom to make room in our lives, our finite lives. To make room for our choices that actually matter. Moving from a fear of missing out to the freedom of missing out. A freedom that comes not from control, imposing our agenda on time, but surrender. Yes, surrender. Surrendering to dwell in the remarkable quality of time that we all know, where instead of squeezing out all of the goodness, we simply sip and taste the bounty around us. It's the concept that Richard Rohr calls deep time, which to quote the writer Gary Eberly, we can slip into a realm where there is enough of everything, where we are not trying to fill a void in ourselves or the world, where the boundaries that separate the self from the rest of reality grow blurry and time stands still. The clock does not stop, of course, but we do not hear it ticking. You've been there before. It's the feeling we get when we see a newborn child, the joy we get of just being silent with a loved one, the contentment of being in the natural world, witnessing ordinary beauty. I wonder how you open yourself to the possibility of experiencing this deep time. And maybe how you close yourself off from the possibility with all of the doing. It's around this time of year where Christians move through 
Advent, the time of waiting and preparation, waiting and preparation for Christmas, that we meet once again the cast of characters of the Nativity. The sheep and the innkeeper, the heralds and the wise people from the East, and of course, my favorites, the shepherds. The shepherds who can be our deepest teachers in our quest to be interruptible, of stumbling into deep time. Because there they were, tending their flocks, when out of nowhere, bam, an angel appeared. Angels, which if you read the book of Ezekiel, you often find described as having multiple heads and sometimes on fire, so you know, terrifying. Imagine yourself, you're at work, you're going through your normal day when a terrifying, fantastical being appears out of nowhere and gets up all in your business, telling you to drop everything you're doing, all your obligations, risk your livelihood to go and find a stranger's baby and simply gaze at it. When you think about it, objectively, babies don't do a lot. And it would be kind of odd for us to say, hey, do you want to go over to my friend's house and just stare at their face? Yeah, we'll probably do it for like an hour or so. We might pass them around. They might make a few sounds, might move a little bit, but mostly we're just going to stare at them. If we were from another planet, this human behavior might not make any sense to us. And yet there is something that we all know. When we behold a child, a newborn's face, there is this primal reverence a way that it knits us to something essential and beautiful and timeless and yet finite. We stumble into deep time simply by gazing at it. They were interruptible. They put down their plans, set down their agendas, and connected into a primal obligation, an embedded cellular link that we have with others. To strangers, though to strangers we don't even know. And they went to be held, the baby. How many angels visit us each day, asking, pleading, demanding that we step outside our well-laid plans and expectations to behold the beauty of life itself. The shepherds let go of control and were able to be responsive to the swirls and opportunities of time revealing to us something essential about life, that life is not about our plans. Thank God. That each day, each hour that we live is not just another opportunity to implement our own predetermined plans or ideas upon the world and get disappointed or upset when the world has different ideas. The shepherds found their way into the story not because of any feat of will or efficiency of craft or popularity status, but because they said yes to being interrupted by what matters, and they took the time necessary for the process. They dwelled in what matters, not control, finding a deep freedom not from controlling time. In fact, I, I actually don't think we can be free if we are in control. If we only experience freedom when we're in total control of the situation, that's not freedom. I think the 
deepest part of freedom is being responsive to life's invitations, being free to be responsive, not locked in to our own preconceptions, but ready to respond to what our relationships, what life calls us to, to play a role in a larger story, a story that is not on uh, a story that is not in our own making. There's not enough time and there's too much to do. Thank God we're not in control. Thank God we have the gift of missing out. Thank God each moment can be meaningful because we will never get it back. Deep time, which is available to us if only we make room and get out of the way. So this holiday season, we may we be like the shepherds, interruptible. And may we have friends like angels who turn our heads towards the beauty of time that exists all around us, if only we make room for it. Who knows? Maybe our lives will be as changed as the shepherds were when they went and told everyone the good news of a child that was born, that storytells would bring hope to a people, and for 2,000 years, people have continued to talk about it. May we be interruptible. May we take all the time that is necessary for the process at hand. May we let go to make room for what time has in store for us. Amen and blessed be. May we let go to make room for what time has in store for us. Ah, that is so good. Thank you so much, Sean. This theme of making time and making room to experience time with richness and depth really speaks to me. And I wanted to learn more about what this looks like in practice. So I called up Foothills member Steve Saddam to ask him about his experiences of time as someone who I knew made time in his life to create amazing art, which is something I aspire to make time for, but I don't often actually get to. I started off the conversation by asking Steve exactly how he'd describe his creative life. I typically don't refer to myself as an artist. I refer to myself creative. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just, you know, that's kind of my work life coming through. That's what the, the current term is for somebody like myself who works in the design field and who is doing the creative end of that. So whether it's writing or web design or trade shows or whatever else, it's sort of the professional thing is, you know, you're a creator. So, um, I think that's nice to have that term. Like it's not a label, it's kind of an action you're creating. And I relate to that too, when I'm doing my personal work, because I actually did go through art school and, and, you know, came away with your know, bachelor of fine arts and experience in studio painting and drawing. And, you know, that's, that's not how I'm earning my living, but that's how I'm actually, you know, living. So I continue. Every day, I'm either, um, you know, finding time to write music, finding time to sit down at, and I'm working out a lot of ceramics lately since I started. I could be drawing, I could be painting, I could be doing other creative things. And I don't draw a bright line between sort of the, the high arts or craft work. You know, when I was laying my floor and the, the baseboards, I, I carried with that process, the same kind of attention that I would carry to crafting a piece of ceramics, right? So there's, there's an intention, there's a focus, 
there's an eye-hand coordination. So as an artist or as a creative, I find that I like to straddle that line between <clears throat> craft and being an artisan and sort of being a creative artist. Although I don't use, I don't use that term, artist, right. too much for myself. You know what? I'm curious, just hearing you describe all these different modes of being creative, how do you I come up against my own mental block around well, am I being productive with my time? Is this a good use of my time? How do I justify this fun and pleasure? Or what if it ends up going badly and then I wasted my time? How do you say yes to your non-paid creative endeavors? Right, right, right. Here's what I feel like. When the kids were little and we were much busier just individually with that whole creative act, you know, of raising young people, I did not have the surplus time and the surplus energy that I have now. You know, my kids are in their early twenties and largely taking care of their own lives. They live here at home, but they get their food, they do their laundry, you know? Mm -hmm. So I find myself, you know, in my mid to late fifties, I have some surplus time now again that I had the last I had that was really in my twenties. So what do you do with that surplus time? And, and that's kind of the question. I, I go ahead and I use it to, to create things. I just, I love the things that I do that are, you know, I'm not watching the ball game. I'm, I'm throwing a pot or I'm writing a song or whatever. So I don't really worry. I sort of, I feel like I've earned it, you know, not only cause I, I worked, you know, I, I work professionally at my job and then I have, I'm down and it's surplus time and surplus energy. And so. What do you do with that? Well, you go play, you know, cause it's not work. And I don't worry about being productive with my creative endeavors. I feel like they are their own work. It's not about achieving some, somebody else's goal. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Could you share a little more about how do you know it's play? Well, it just, it's the way I approach it. <clears throat> you could make it into work. In fact, you've got to guard against that. Mm -hmm. This just comes to mind. So with my music, I got into it by just sort of attending a Saturday morning, once a month, ukulele circle, right? And I got to know one of the other guys in there and he had a very strong voice and I'd like to see harmonies with him. So we would often sit next to each other and we started saying, let's go to open mic nights. Okay, so we'll go to open mic nights, which meant now we're rehearsing. <laughs> we have an intention. So we go to open mic nights. And, you know, that was okay. It was interesting. And then it was like, well, you know what? Maybe we could work up a whole set. And by that time, I transitioned to the upright bass. And that was a really good combo with my, my upright bass and his ukulele and our two voices. And so we started going out and having gigs. And then we started getting paid gigs. And then we started thinking, you know, our sound would be much bigger if we brought in some percussion. And we know another guy and he can play guitar and sing harmonies. And that was another love. And by that time, we started running open mic nights at a local bar and having paid gigs. And I got to the point where it wasn't fun, um, right? Because it was about booking a gig and getting the, getting the organization together. And do we have the right equipment and getting out and doing it? So that's an example of turning play into work. Mm -hmm. It wasn't supposed to be that. And it wasn't where it started from. And in fact, thank you, pandemic, right? <laughs> 
all that stuff <laughs> shut down in a hurry, right? And so I have a different viewpoint of it now. I don't want to go back to trying to book a gig somewhere and hauling gear and setting up and, and, and having a paid gig. So I keep it in context. This is for me. This isn't for getting famous or getting rich. It's just for me. So that's how I justify it's not time wasted. It's time I'm giving myself. So Steve, something that happens to me sometimes is I start off my day. There's lots of things I need to get done. I get all the things done. I'm really looking forward to when the kids are in bed and I have time that is finally all to myself. And I end up like on my phone and then, and then the evening's over. And I wonder, sometimes I find it really hard to switch through enough gears to get into a place where I feel that kind of, like I could get into that creative zone, like I could sink into it. What suggestions, like what comes to mind when you, I describe that to you. And how do you not just end up on Instagram a, a thousand hours a week? Sometimes it's a low injured energy night and you know, you've got to just veg, right? right? It never feels great to me. And I've been noticing lately, like, it's dark out, it's dark real early. It's a little too much time maybe, right? And not enough to do, too cold to go for a walk, plus it's dark. So yeah, it's a conscious choice for me. On the weekends, I don't turn on my computer. I'm on the computer during my work life. I mm -hmm. turn that thing off. I don't turn it back on again. And I try to preserve higher energy timeframes for myself mm -hmm. to, to do my creative work. So I know that often at the end of the day, I'm a little tapped and maybe I'm going to watch a Netflix show or I'm going to scroll around on social media. But but yeah, you have to reserve some time for yourself that is that surplus time, but the, the, the energy is good, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and, and if you can do it, um, you know, don't, don't wait for the last thing. Don't make it be the last thing. You, you know, use some of the good time for it. And you have to feel a little bit irresponsible. Like, that's interesting. I could mow the lawn or I could sit down because I'm feeling kind of energetic right now. I could get the paints out and slap some stuff around. So, I mean, part of it is for me thinking, I'm just going to be a little bit irresponsible here and use this time and energy for me doing something creative. It's fun. So, yeah, but, you know, I mean, like everybody, I get stuck in low energy activities and, and kind of the stuff that we have around us. So many temptations to turn on a show or to just kind of veg. I, I don't feel great when I do that. I feel much better. If I've actually saved some energy and I can put it in something that's more, more like play for me. That's really interesting to think about saving those high energy times or being aware of your energy level and also just deciding to be a little bit irresponsible in the yeah. name of like being able to enter into time and play in a richer and different way. And I wonder how is that connected to your spiritual life, whatever that means to you, Steve, but is there a relationship between those times of choosing to be a little irresponsible and delve into your creative world and like feeling alive or feeling connected 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I wouldn't necessarily track it to a, a religious experience, although maybe it's just one step to the left or right of that, but you do feel like you're connecting with something both core and mm -hmm. interior as well as expansive and outside of you mm. when you get into a flow state, when you get into a state where you're creating. And you say, where did this come from? I have no idea where that lyric came from. How did I write? It's so good. Right? Or yes. well, I, I walk into the pottery studio, I look at the shelves, I think, where did these come from? Where did these things come from? Because they're all over the place. And so you get the sense that you're not the only one here, you know, there's something else moving through you. You're participating in a shared experience where ideas and shapes and colors and whatever that's moving through you. You didn't make them up. You just move them into reality. Right? So I, I sort of feel like there's this, there's this sense when it's really working well, you're just amazed. You just, you just don't know if you had, if, if authorship really resides in you or not. And, and that's an amazing experience. And it happens when you wake up, I often wake up and you can read about this. Other people have done this too. And it's quite common, but you wake up from a dream and you've just gotten a whole poem <laughs> or a song. I, I heard an interview with Paul McCartney and he said, you know, he dreamt the melody to yesterday. And he woke up and he said, this is so good. I must've heard this somewhere. So he went to John Lennon and said, John, do you know this? Da -da -dun, da -da 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 -da. Right. And John says, no, that's, that's yours. He's like, where did that come from? So I think that's the wonderful thing about involving yourself in, in a creative act that you will contact something that maybe didn't come from you. And that's the fun. That's the part where you just go, wow, I want to do this again. It's so cool to hear you as somebody who's gotten really into ceramics, talking about being a vessel in a way. Mm, you know, that's true. That's true. If you were to offer one nugget of advice to somebody who was feeling really drawn towards play and creative expression, but also just was feeling very hung up on the fact that it might not end up being a good use of their time or it might not be productive or there's so many other things they should be doing. What would, especially if that person doesn't think of themselves as creative. Right. What would you right. offer? This isn't an original statement. This I read this recently. Uh, I thought mm -hmm. it was the greatest quote because it's a twist on something you already heard. And here's the quote. Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. <laughs> and, and here's why, because just do it. Don't, don't, don't worry if it's going to be good or not. Right. Your, your, your goal is not to be good. Your goal is to be right. Your goal is to experience something, try something, see how it feels. See if you can get lost in, in a process, do something new, do something that you haven't done before. Not because you're going to get good at it, but because you just want to try something. If you like what you're doing, you're going to do more and more of it. And eventually you're going to catch on to something. And people say, wow, you're good at that. Well, that's not why you did it, but that could happen. So don't, 
don't starve yourself from the opportunity to try something new or try many things. Go through six or eight different things. Maybe one of them will hit and you'll say, oh, you know, this, this kind of gets back. I feel better after I'm done with this. So go out there and try. Your goal is not to be good. Your goal is to be. In the coming days, may you feel life's invitations to just be and to accept them with gratitude. Those invitations to soak up whatever is happening in that very particular moment. Those invitations to make space to move along with the flow of creativity and love, to let go to make room for what life has in store for you. To let go, to make room. Make room for life and to really show up for it. Thank you so much for taking the time to join this week's episode of The Deeper Podcast. If you have a moment, it would mean a lot of us if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This really does help people discover the show when they're typing in keywords to Google, trying to figure out just the right something that might touch their lives in a meaningful way. And if there's anyone in your life who you think would resonate with the big questions we're wrestling with over here, please do send them a link to the podcast and spread the word. Thank you so much for listening. We're so glad you joined us.